today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. Why is it evil? Why is the love of money? Because see, when you love money, you'll never have money enough. It's never enough. And because it was never meant to satisfy, you obtain it, you amass it, you achieve it, you stockpile it, and then once you have it, you realize, what was that about? I'm, I'm more miserable now than I was before. So what am I going to do? Well, I'll get more. Maybe that'll do it. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Ecclesiastes. Why can the love of money be evil? As you listen to today's message from Pastor J.D., he teaches you to not chase after money. Chasing after money is like chasing after the wind. You'll never be satisfied striving for wealth. Chasing after money will always leave you feeling like you need more. Only Christ can fully satisfy. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. But for now, here's Pastor J.D. in Ecclesiastes chapter 5 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. All right, we're looking forward to here in the last part of chapter 5 and even through chapter 6, Solomon, who, as you know, I'm sure, is speaking from his own experience as the wealthiest man who ever lived, And he's concluding that riches, that wealth, can never satisfy. And the reason that riches and wealth can never satisfy is because God never made us to be satisfied with anything, or I'll add even anyone but Him. Try as you may, and Solomon is trying, and he's going to do this for 12 chapters. By the way, we're halfway through, and it's been kind of grueling, but it's needed. It's much needed. It's a process. It's, it's going through, if I can say it like this, by proxy, learning from Solomon instead of repeating that which Solomon does. And I mean, there are, and you have to admit, those times where you think, well, I I know that, you know, money can't buy happiness, as they say, but I'd like to try. (laughs) I mean, it couldn't hurt. You know, I I know that riches don't satisfy, but you you never know. I mean, can we just, no need, Solomon already tried. It doesn't work. In fact, not only will it not satisfy, it will actually leave you more dissatisfied than before. And that's what we're going to see tonight. Dissatisfaction, discontentment, and even despair. It's really going to be interesting. So let me preface it before we jump in with this reminder that Solomon is still on this insatiable quest to find meaning and purpose 
and satisfaction in life without God, in life under the sun, S-U-N, not S-O-N. And so, and we've been noticing this, this struggle back and forth. It's almost like against his will, he goes kicking, fighting, biting, scratching, and screaming back to God. Because unless he does that, there's no way to reconcile anything in this life, absent the true and living God. And such is the case with what we're going to see here tonight. So verse 13, there is a severe evil which I have seen under the sun, riches kept for their owner to his hurt. But those riches perish through misfortune. When he begets a son, there is nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, verse 15, naked shall he return to go as he came, and he shall take nothing from his labor, which he may carry away in his hand. And this also is a severe evil. That's interesting choice of wording, as it's translated. It's not just evil, it's a severe evil. This is unthinkable, unspeakable. He says, just exactly as he came, so shall he go. And what profit has he who has labored for the wind? All his days he also eats in darkness, and he has much sorrow and sickness and anger. Man, I can just feel the anger. In other words, here I've worked all my life, I've amassed all this wealth, and it's brought me nothing but misery, sorrow, pain. I think about Paul writing to Timothy. We're going to see when we get to chapter 6. You know we're in chapter 4. We're getting there. But it's perhaps amongst the most, if not the most, misquoted scripture in all of the Bible. And you know it well. Paul writing says, for the love of money, love of money, is the root of all evil. We know that part, but sometimes we don't finish the rest of it and the last part of it, because he goes on to say, why? It's the root of all evil. Here Solomon says, this is a severe evil. He's basically bearing witness to that which the Apostle Paul would write all these generations later. Why is it evil? Why is the love of money? Because see, when you love money, you'll never have money enough. It's never enough. And because it was never meant to satisfy, you obtain it, you amass it, you achieve it, you stockpile it, and then once you have it, you realize, what was that about? I'm, I'm more miserable now than I was before. So what am I going to do? Well, I'll get more. Maybe that'll do it. So you get more, and that just makes you more empty, more dissatisfied, which in turn, cyclically, it's a vicious cycle. It makes you want even more, and then you get even more, and then you're even more empty, so you get even more. 
No wonder he's angry. I'm angry just thinking about it. Paul goes on to say, the reason why the love of money is the root of all evil, or to quote Solomon, a severe evil, is because those who pursue it, seek after it, will pierce themselves through with many sorrows. That's why. That's what Solomon's saying. Here I, I've pursued this, I've amassed this, and it has brought me nothing but trouble. We saw this last week in verse 12. He just got done talking about the riches of a man permits him no sleep because he's laying in bed. He can't sleep. Why? Because all he's thinking about is his riches. And here's the thing, the more you have, the more you worry about losing what you have and keeping what you have. When you don't have it, no problem. I got nothing to worry. I'm going to sleep fine. <laughs> and it's like the the and, and this is in the Proverbs. Wealth can take the very life of the one who possesses it. It's like you no longer possess it; it possesses you. And this speaks to that very simple truth that. It's not what you have, it's what has you. There's nothing wrong with a Christian having nice things. God will entrust wealth and prosperity to His servants who are faithful, to much is given, much is required. There is a stewardship dynamic there present, but it's you have it, but it doesn't have you. It doesn't own you, it doesn't drive you. And Solomon is talking about, hey, uh, this is the master passion of my life. And what it has brought is nothing but sorrow, nothing but pain, nothing but misery. Remember the word misery comes from the word miser, misery, misery. I, I have to say that over the years I've met a lot of very miserable misers on the mainland many years ago when I was very young and at the time working for Mercedes-Benz I had occasion to meet a lot of very wealthy people and I thought to myself man they must be so happy <laughs> they were the most miserable people I had ever met so unhappy so stressed on their third marriage their kids forget it I mean, their lives are in ruins. Their lives are nothing but chaos. And all because, and I know we've talked about this, but I can't uh, help but mention it again. I think it's apropos. You've seen those television shows where they follow the lottery winners to see how, how, how's it going. Man, you've got a maid in the shade. You can live happily ever after. And they go on to talk about how their lives have been completely destroyed by the wealth, by the riches. I mean, you, you would think that that would solve all of the problems. But here's the problem with thinking that money solves all of the problems. Uh, money is not a God. You cannot serve both God and money, Jesus said. It's either one or the other. It's interesting. Jesus did not say it would not be a good idea to. He did not say you shouldn't. No, he said you can't. It's an impossibility. It's not both, it's either or. 
You're either going to love the one and hate the other or vice versa. You cannot serve both God and money. Who's your master? Who's your master? And actually that's what he talks about throughout the rest of Matthew chapter 6. Well, let's move on. Verse 18. Here's what I've seen. It is good and fitting for one to eat and drink and to enjoy the good of all his labor in which he toils under the sun all the days of his life which God gives him, for it is his heritage. As for every man, verse 19, to whom God has given riches and wealth and given him power to eat of it. Uh, That's not a given. Just because you have it doesn't mean you're going to enjoy it. So if you are given it and you're able to enjoy it, to receive his heritage and to rejoice in his labor. Well, this is the gift of God. At least he's acknowledging God. Again, it's almost like unwillingly he has to bring God back in. Because that's the only way that this even comes close to making any sense. And then he says, last verse, verse 20, for he will not dwell unduly on the days of his life, because God keeps him busy with the joy of his heart. Now at first read, you might almost get the impression that, yeah, good, he came to his senses. You know, in the end, at the end of the day, the final analysis, Solomon is, you know, finally just kind of coming to his senses saying, hey, God gives it, just enjoy it. I wish that were it. (laughs) It's actually not. What do you mean? Well, you know what he's saying here? He's basically saying, you only go around once, so you might as well live it up. That's what he's saying. If you're only living for this life, then might as well just live it up. I I, I forget the saying, and maybe that's a good thing to forget secular sayings, (laughs) but doesn't it go something like this? You might as well eat, drink, and be merry because, you know, Tomorrow you die. Maybe that's not it. That's kind of dark, I know, but you get the point. In other words, you only go around once. You might as well just kind of live it up. Can all you get, get all you can. And that's what Solomon has been reduced here to. He slammed the door shut on God, and this is what he gets. Because again, he's, he's resolute. He has strengthened his resolve, if I can say it that way, to eliminate God from the equation of life. And as you can see, it's not working out too well. Now, chapter 6, he continues on concerning this, and he says again, verse 1, there is an evil, not severe evil this time, so there is an evil which I have seen under the sun, and it is common among men. In other words, I see it all the time. A man, verse 2, to whom God has given riches and wealth and honor, so that he lacks nothing for himself of all he desires, yet God does not give him power to eat of it, but a foreigner consumes it. This is vanity and it is an evil affliction. What's Solomon concluding here? What's Solomon saying here? 
he's saying that it is evil to amass all of this wealth and not enjoy it. And it's almost like this, the people with the most enjoy it the least, and conversely the people with the least enjoy it the most. And, and this has to do with contentment. And again, we're going to talk about that more in a moment. Verse 3 is interesting. He says, if a man begets a hundred children. Stop right there. What? A hundred? Listen, I have three living children. Plenty. Plenty children. A hundred children. And by the way, a man. What about the mom? Oh my goodness, a hundred of those urchins, as they're called? I like that urchins because it's kind of like it, you know, it's one of those words that sounds like, you know, it kind of irks me, those urchins, you know. It's a hundred children? Well, it's of course figurative because in that culture, in that day, and it's really much the same today in the Middle East, you, your wealth, your stature, your prominence, your prosperity is not gauged by what you do for a living, but by how many children you have. You know, in the Middle East, you don't ask somebody, hey, what do you do for a living? That's code for, how much money do you have? <laughs> uh, you know, what do you do for a living? They don't ask you that. They ask you this, how many children do you have? That's the gauge. That's the litmus test. So Solomon is talking about a full life, and certainly a hundred children would do that and accomplish that. And so not only a full life with a hundred children, but a long life and lives many years, so that the days of his years are many, but, oh, you know it's coming, his soul is not satisfied with goodness, or it gets worse, indeed he has no burial. I say that a stillborn child is better than he. And here's why. For it comes, speaking of the stillborn child, in vanity and departs in darkness, and its name is covered with darkness. This is very dark, right? <laughs> A lot of darkness here. Verse 5, though it has not seen the sun or known anything, this has more rest than that man, even if he lives a thousand years twice. That's 2,000 years, right? So he's contrasting this man that has a hundred children and a long life, 2,000 years, comparing it to the stillborn child that lives only minutes. But this man who lives a thousand years twice, but has not seen goodness, do not all go to one place. What is Solomon saying here? Well, he's basically saying that you can have all of this outward fullness, but yet have inward emptiness. I mean, you, you look at this guy, and outwardly, because man looks at the outward appearance, but God sees the heart. So man looks at the outward appearance, and he sees all of these children, all of this wealth, and here's this man living this long, prosperous life, and outwardly you would think, wow, 
He must be so fulfilled. And on the inside he is dying and wishes in fact that he could die like that stillborn child because it would be better to be that stillborn child and not live that life and come to the end of that life and have it come to naught. You know when you, as it's been said, climb the ladder of success in life, only to find out that when you get to the top, the ladder was up against the wrong wall. And it's just this, and sometimes it it takes that to realize that. And I'll explain what I mean by that. You know, as a pastor over the years, I've had occasion to be at the bedside of many a person who was taking their last breath in this life and their first breath in eternity. And I tell you, it's a sobering, introspective time, obviously, I think, for what would be deemed obvious reasons. And as I've gotten to know people, as is my privilege to be able to get to know people over the years, and then here they're coming to the end of their life, and there's always that regret. That, that sorrow, that man, if I, if I had to do it all over again, I would have done it differently. And I have yet to ever talk with anyone at the end of their life who has ever said to me, I wish I would have spent more time working. I wish I would have spent more time working, laboring, making more money. It's the opposite. And I think this speaks to what we refer to as workaholism. I'm just, why did I go there? Because I'm really convicted now. <laughs> but maybe we need to talk about this just for a moment. It's that, that painful toil and labor. My wife today said, hey, I need to get you out of, you know, <laughs> seven days a week, you know, just all hours of the day and sometimes into the night. And it's a joy. I mean, I'm not complaining. I dare not complain because later on uh, we're going to see what happens to people who complain. But she just said, hey, why don't we just take the day tomorrow and maybe get out and I need to get you out of here. You know, I, th- <laughs> I said, wow, do I look that bad and that mad? You know, I, I picture that, you know, uh, that professor that's, you know, the hair's going all over the place. And well, of course, that's not a problem for me, but, you know, just kind of, <laughs> you know, kind of losing this. He's like, I need to, you need to get out. Because all she said, all you do is you go from your office here in the home to the church and back. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of In Spirit and Truth. Pastor J.D. has been teaching through the book of Ecclesiastes both challenging us to seek the lasting things and encouraging us to look at how we spend our days. Throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, we get a peek into the mind of its writer and how he lived. We see how he tried everything the world had to offer and it still left him feeling empty. In fact, he writes that all he sought was in vain. Can you relate? Do you find yourself seeking the things of the world? Are you putting your hope in the meaninglessness and empty things of the world? If so, be encouraged. You don't have to spend your days wondering where your help comes from. Scripture tells us it comes from the Lord, 
So seek Him and He will fill you afresh. We hope today's message has been encouraging to you in your walk with Jesus. If you're wrestling in your walk, though, we'd love to pray for you. Just visit InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com and click on Contact under the About tab. We'd love to hear from you, and we're available to answer any questions you may have. If you're ever in or near the Kaneohe area, we'd love to have you join us for our worship services. Feel free to invite your family and friends, too. And be sure to let us know that you're a listener of In Spirit and Truth when you visit. Find out more about Calvary Chapel Kaneohe at our website, inspiritandtruthradio.com. Thanks for being part of our study here today. We hope you'll tune in next time to learn more from the book of Ecclesiastes with Pastor J.D. Right here on In Spirit and Truth.